Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Clarks. I'm Javian. I'm Tyler. And today we have a special guest with us. Um, this is part two of our two-part series on performance anxiety and mental health. So I want to take the time to thank you and welcome Miss Megan Brown. Welcome, Miss Megan Brown. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great, great, great. So uh, we're gonna, you know, be asking Megan, Megan different questions about performance anxiety and mental health. She is a um, therapist for the University of Florida Hospital in Gainesville. Um, but I'm gonna let her, you know, give you her whole spiel. But before we jump into our topics, Miss Megan, are you drinking any coffee today? I am not. Oh no. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Tyler and I, we, we'll drink some for you, but do, are you into coffee or are you more of like a tea person or you are like anti-caffeine? Like what's your deal? I actually have a caffeine sensitivity, so I do not have coffee and, but I do love tea as long as it doesn't have caffeine. Like I can drink pretty much any tea that you can name and I like it. I, I feel for you. I feel for you. Yeah. I don't know if I could survive <laughs> without caffeine. I know, right? I know. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tyler, what, what are you drinking today? Or are you drinking coffee today? I am, yeah, yeah. So I actually picked up a bag again before this episode. And uh, it's from Papua New Guinea, which mm -hmm. I've never had coffee from that region before. So yeah. Um, yeah, this is my first try of that. Usually I go for like Ethiopia mm -hmm. or Guatemala. So this mm -hmm. is a new experience for me. And it's pretty good so far. It's um, like a medium roast, medium body type of style, chocolatey caramel and a little bit of fruit in the okay. uh, flavor notes. So what about you, ma'am? So if you guys follow our social media, I uh, on Instagram, I posted that I brought some new beans uh, last weekend um, in Jacksonville at Bo Bean. I actually have the bag right here. So I got this bag, it's a um, Guatemalan. Um, it's a medium roast, so I've had it maybe about three cups since I brought the bag, and I love it. I got it recommended by one of the baristas that was working. He said it was his favorite, so I was like, all right, let me try it out. So, so far, it's been great. Um, you know, like I said, it's nice, not too um, acidic, nice, you know, medium blend, but it's been great. I did a French press. I forgot to get a new pour holder. Ah. I'll just, buy you, just yeah, buy, me one yeah, and, just buy and, you one. Yeah, I'll just buy you one. And send it to me. I would greatly appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I'll yes. send it to your uh, school address. That way you yeah. can do uh, pour overs in your exactly. studio. My, my students have been asking me to make them coffee anyway. So I say one of these days when I, you know, get everything set up in the office. So, because we're going to be yeah. moving to a new building soon. So once that happens, I'll you know, make them some coffee, some fresh coffee. So, there you so go. yeah, so that's our coffee talk for today. <laughs> so we're here to talk about performance anxiety and mental health. So Megan, um, if you don't mind, like, how would you, you know, define what is like performance anxiety and, and, and ways to kind of deal with that? I mean, to keep it simple, it's really just, you know, the fear of failing. It's also a, it's kind of like unconsciously, you're thinking that other people are really, really thinking about you in depth to where you're just like, 
what if they don't like me? What if they don't like the way that I sound? And really half the time they're not even thinking about that. And then the pressure, of course, that we put on ourselves to be perfectionists, to be great at our crafts. You know, it's natural for us to have that anxiety because we want to do well. And ways that you can deal with any type of anxiety, specifically performance, is you have to be really confident in what you're doing. And while also understanding that there are going to be times where you're probably going to mess up during a performance and that's okay. When I think when you accept that, that's when you actually do better in the performance because you're just like, okay, I'm going to play this. I know that there's things that may not go my way, but I'm just going to roll with it. When you roll with things, your anxiety decreases naturally. Awesome. Awesome. And I, and I meant to ask you before you, you said that, but, you know, I know, as I said before, you know, you're working at the hospital at, at University of Florida in Gainesville as a therapist. Um, so, like, I know you, you're, you do a lot of stuff with, like, mental health. And um, so how do you kind of get started in that field? Is that something, like, you always wanted to do or it's just kind of, like, stumble upon it one day or how, how did that work out? I actually started off with uh, social work because I knew I wanted to help people. But if I'm being honest, being a social worker, they make no money. I was like, I want to do what I love, but I also need to be able to pay my bills. So I was like, why don't I look into the therapy field? And I got really attached to marriage and family therapy because if you just think about it, everything that one person experiences in a family you know, affects them systemically. So I got really attracted to that and I just, it just came, the rest just came to me and I feel like it's such a natural calling that it doesn't even really feel like a job. So, you know, it was a pretty natural walk to that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And how, how long have you been working at the hospital? I've been there since November of 2018. Okay, good. So do you come across, well, I'm assuming you probably do, do you come across like a lot of patients who are dealing with certain anxieties or, or like what, what type of conversations or experiences have you had with that? I mean, all the patients that I experience um, are dual diagnosis, which means that they have substance abuse issues and mental health issues. But when, I'm t when I tell you that like depression and anxiety, that's always like the number one thing that they've experienced since like childhood. And when you don't deal with childhood trauma, of course it follows you through your adulthood and then you, you will do anything to numb the pain, whether that's drugs, sex, overeating, and you know, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. awesome. hmm. So if you have, or somebody comes to you and they feel like they have anxiety or they feel like they have, these addictions, like what ways, or like, how do you talk them through this? How do you identify those things? Like, how do you get them to start being able to kind of resurrect those actions and those thoughts that they have in their mind? Mm -hmm. Like what techniques and what ways do you kind of like navigate through that for, for them? Cause that's some pretty heavy yeah. stuff. And I'm sure you have a lot of heavy conversations, which can become exhausting, but say if, you know, you have somebody like a student right now, maybe that's in college that is dealing with things or is kind of like suppressing those things. Like what advice would you have for them as far as like, you know, dealing with this? Mm -hmm. I mean, the way to start it off is I always like to do kind of like a brief assessment for um, how they were raised, mom and dad in the picture, siblings, you know, different um, generational things that have carried on. 
And I like to use a style of therapy specifically, it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that is, is it's kind of exposure to um, whatever that person is experiencing so they can actually face it. Because a lot of my patients haven't been able to move forward because they bury it under something. So when you actually face it, which is extremely uncomfortable, and you know, this takes a couple of sessions for the patient to feel open to explain something so traumatic or just private to them, you know, because I'm a complete stranger at first, you know, so when I use that technique and that approach of therapy that helps them to slowly move towards the trauma so that we can actually work through it. And any student that was to come to me, and if I could give them any advice, I guess I could say is, it's, it sounds really cliche, but it really is a process. I think people come into therapy, and they're just like, okay, I'm going to do this in three months, like don't come in with a timeline, because you could be exposed or, you know, realize that you have more trauma than you thought you have more anxiety than you thought. And I think everyone just needs to give themselves times to, you know, work through something and heal and actually learn more about themselves so that they can become more self-aware. When you're more self-aware, you tend to not attach yourself to unhealthy behaviors. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I like that notion of like, not putting yourself on a timeline, you know, I, you know, this past week, I, you know, I was talking to a lot of my students about, you know, getting ready for like their first performances for each other. And, you know, I was talking to one student and he was like, for his audition, he was like really nervous and anxiety. And, you know, it's like, this is something he like wants to work on and, and get better at. But so, you know, we were having this long discussion. I was like, you know, figuring out how to deal with anxiety is going to be a forever evolving thing. You know, once you figure it out, something that works for you today may not work for you, you know, three or four or five years down the line. Cause I, you know, our values change over time or our motivations are wise. Like we like to say here on the podcast, knowing your wise, like why you do something like that's going to change. So like the pressures of your performance might change, so, you know, going into like working on your performance anxiety, I think it's just something like we kind of constantly be, you know, working on. Because I, I mean, I think I might have said this one episode in the past. It's like, in a, when I was an undergrad, I didn't really deal with performance anxiety that much, only maybe a, a handful of times that I can remember actually being really like shaking. But I think the older I've gotten, the more I feel like I deal with performance anxiety now, because I feel like there's more at stake than, you know, when I was an undergrad. And that's just something like I know about myself and something I like constantly have to, to, to work through. Um, and it's, I guess there's a little bit of that, you know, kind of facing your fear factor that you, you mentioned earlier. And so like, I know a lot of anxiety deals with, like you said, you know, fear to feel the, the fear of, failure so like how should someone like kind of face that fear on a daily you know on a daily level like when they're just working through their stuff I think it helps to look at what's making you feel insecure about your craft or about anything surrounding you when you can work through those insecurities it also helps with the anxiety because you can say um well, do I feel insecure about this because of me? Did somebody say something to me? Was this triggered by something? It's, it takes a lot of self-reflection to actually work through anxiety because 
people don't just wake up one day and have anxiety. It's triggered by something. So I, I tell my patients all the time, this is why it's so important to keep like a list or a journal writing down your behaviors. Even people that have like bipolar disorder, for example, I tell them to keep a calendar and, you know, keep, you know, track of their mood by using different colors. It's the same concept for anxiety. So you can figure out what the source is. When you get to the source, you can actually find the solution. Oh, that's, that's great. So you talked about journaling and kind of keeping track of that. Are there any other habits or associations or mm -hmm. things that we can do to kind of, again, get us back on a, a more positive path? Yeah, I, I'm really, really into meditation. That has been like my number one thing for my anxiety or anything that I'm going through. And the thing about meditation, right before your performance, like maybe 30 or 60 seconds before you walk on stage, you can meditate right then and there. It doesn't have to be five minutes or an hour. You can think about, okay, you know, how can I reconnect with my center and be confident that I'm going to do well? Anything that doesn't go well, we're going to keep on going. You know, you can easily just stand there and meditate right before you walk on stage. Awesome. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up meditation because meditation is something I've been, you know, the past like few weeks, like reading more about and, and watching videos because it's something like I want to start incorporating just in like my daily schedule at some point. Um, what are some tips in like getting started and like, that becoming like part of your lifestyle? Mm -hmm. I, meditation was hard for me as well because I'm very scatterbrained and it's very easy for me to be all over the place. But what helped me is I used this app called Calm. That's where I started. And it really helps you to practice meditation to where you may not need a nap. You may be able to sit in your room one day with no music or music and do it all by yourself. But it helps you kind of just focus on you know, just staying present. That's mm -hmm. the most important because I have a huge problem of living in the future. That's why I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just using apps like that or even starting off with focusing on a sound or a specific object in the room that you're sitting in or wherever you are and just focusing on it for as long as you can. And I would even keep track of how long you're focusing on something before your mind starts to wander. Mm -hmm. And then as you do it every day or every other day, you can, um, you can figure out, okay, what's, I can, I can pick up a pattern. Like, where am I really losing track? Like what's on my mind the most, you know? And I also think it's important to figure out, are you a morning person, an evening person, a night person? When do you feel the most at ease is when you should meditate. It's especially when you're just starting out. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the staying in the moment thing, I think that for a musician or maybe it's just me, but I feel like when I'm performing, sometimes it's hard to stay in the moment. You know, my mind starts to wonder if I'm playing something and like the challenge for me and this part of the reason why I'm like want to get into meditation, just get better at, you know, focusing is that like a lot of times when I'm performing, you know, you get scatterbrained, you're thinking about, oh, you see like someone in the crowd just moved a certain way and then you're out of it. Or like I'm thinking about there's this musical passage that's coming up that I've been like shedding for weeks and weeks and I'm like nervous about it or whatever. And like staying in the moment, I think is so important, you know, cause I, I, I said uh, in our last episode that to me, like what helps 
anxiety, at least when I feel like I'm being successful at it, you know, dealing with it, um, is when, you know, I'm able to not get super focused on like this one little thing in the music versus like thinking about the music as a whole. So to me, that's where my lack of like focus comes into. I like to be either A, I get distracted by something either in the crowd or what have you, or I get super focused on like this one little note or passage or this technical thing that I'm playing. And then I just like, I kind of lose it or I get really choked up really tight. And so for me, that's just kind of like why I want to get into meditation because I need to work on just calming the mind and staying in the moment. Um, and I think like, regardless if you're a musician or not, I think we live in a day and age where there's so many distractions, you know, there's social media, there's, there's TV, there's a million channels. Now there's, you know, you got Netflix, you got Hulu, YouTube, all these things. And we're constantly be being fed like information 24 hours. So like, for me, it's about like trying to calm my mind and being able to focus on one like singular thing for a certain amount of time and just get better clarity and, and, and better balance in my life. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're already on it. You're already. You're I'm on it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know Tyler, you, you know, we've had some conversations about stuff like this. I know you've, you've done some stuff like this, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I try to do is it's like the mindset of winning the morning. Cause if I can win the morning, the rest of the day tends to follow suit. So right now, like I experiment with different things to see like what works and what doesn't. And so like the morning, I like to get up before my wife gets up. Cause it's like, there's quiet, there's no obligations. So uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, for me, I've been trying to um, start with like reading the Bible and just like getting into like a spiritual mindset and reading truth. Like for me, like what I believe is truth. And so then it's, it's like, you're reading these things. These are the first thoughts that you're reading and believing as opposed to like scrolling on Facebook or Instagram. And like, now you're reading other people's opinions or things. And it's like, those fill your mind as opposed to like, you know, reading something that you believe is, is deep truth. So that's where I've, what I've kind of been doing now. And then I've also been getting into the Wim Hof breathing method and I've been doing his app. And so that just within itself is a challenge because you know, it's like you breathing in, breathing out a lot of times. And then, you know, you hold your breath for as long as you can. And I try to do three to four sets of that. And that kind of varies of when I do that throughout the day. But like I did that before this podcast, because um, I ran a few errands this morning and I was like, okay, I want to do this. Because it, I mean, you literally lie on the ground and just kind of like, there's, there's music and it's very meditative type of state. It's very nice. But doing that and then also exercising, I'm a big long distance runner. So I try to exercise every day um, just because that also works on staying in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And I find that I'm best mentally, like I have an edge mentally when I'm in my fittest shape. So like when I'm preparing for a marathon and preparing for like a big race, mentally I'm always on point because typically in that time I also cut out like my diet super clean. And then I also cut out alcohol just because I like to cut out any distractions. 
And so I noticed like mentally I have this edge where you feel like whatever comes at you, you can defeat. And so like, it's really hard cause I'm not obviously not racing now, but to keep that going, cause I, I run year round. So to keep that going year round is difficult. But like you said, Jamie, like staying in the present moment, like anytime you do something difficult, especially something that involves your body, like that forces you to have to stay present and focus in on the task. And I think that can also transfer over to what you do musically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know that you work out, you lift and you run. And so it's like, if you start running, you're like, Oh God, this sucks. And you're just like thinking about like, Oh, I can't wait to get home and this and that as opposed to like, all right, well, I told myself I'm going to be out here for X amount of time or X amount of mileage. Like I might as well like invest in this and then it'll be over. So I feel like those things have kind of been really like strong disciplines in my life that have like allowed me to deal with this again. I mean, I still deal with performance anxiety. And I think Megan, like what you said is like caring too much about what other people think. Like I've realized like, that's like a big deal for me. And then it's like, why, why do I care about those things? And it's like, you want them to accept you. You want them to like, feel like you provide value. And so like, I'm wondering like, where did that stem from? Like, where does that come from? You know, it's, it's weird. I mean, it's, you start digging deep and you start looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, man, like, who is this person? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and you'll be surprised at how many things, whether they were extremely harmful or not, you know, that happened when you were a kid, you know, it all comes from when you were a kid. Was there ever a time, you know, where you felt like you did a great job and someone was just like, eh, I don't think, I think you could have done better. You know, something like that can really help, you know, not help, but make someone have performance anxiety or any type of anxiety when they become an adult. Cause it's like that constant reminder. Oh, I, I thought I did so well, but this person or these people like always criticize me. So I have to work harder. I have to, I have to get their approval. That's where that comes from. Yeah. yeah and I think like as a teacher, I think that's why I put a lot of value in creating a, um, or at least I try to creating a warm supportive environment because I think a toxic environment can also create that feeling of like not being good enough or being so afraid of what people are going to think of you or what they're going to say behind your back. And to me, like there, you know, there is a somewhat of a competitive nature to the music field. Like we have to audition for jobs. It's just the nature of what we do. Um, so in itself, it kind of feeds that, oh, I have to be better than so-and-so to get that job, or I have to be better than this person to win that competition. So I think, you know, for me, I'm just like, we have to create, you know, as educators, as musicians, like, I think it's important to create a supportive environment that, you know, we're all on this journey, even if, you know, I'm competing against somebody for a job or a competition at the end of the day my job I just want to sound good and I can you know do all this work and still be supportive of the person who I'm competing against you know I think that and I think that's you know applies to not just music but any field that's you know competitive I think when I I watch a lot of sports um, and one thing I kind of enjoy seeing is where you know you have two teams are battling like say if it's like a championship game and then the team that loses, you know, their players will go up to the team who won and say, you know, this was a great, this was like a hard fought game, you know, congratulations, you guys were the better team. Um, but there's no like animosity there, you know, we can both be present in this world, 
or in our field without feeling like I have to be better to that person. Therefore, and I think that will lend our lend us from like feeling that toxic environment of being competitive and the anxiety and the pressure. There's there's enough pressure, I think, in this world. Uh, and I don't think we need to add to it. So I'm, I'm really like try to push of creating a supportive, you know, environment, at least, you know, with my students, I, I find great value because I've been in situations where it's not like that. And it is not a great environment to be in. It's no, I feel like no one benefits from that at all. Yeah, that's true. Uh, question for you. So positive versus negative self-talk. We addressed this a little bit in the last podcast. <clears throat> so I don't think people realize how, how much they talk to themselves. It's like a constant thing, but musicians particularly, we tend to overanalyze the things that we're playing, like while we're playing them, and then we beat ourselves up a lot in, that, in our heads. So what are ways that musicians and people just in general, whoever's listening, can work on creating more of a positive self-talk atmosphere within themselves and also identifying these negative self-talk trends that they might have about themselves? Yeah, I mean, positive self-talk, I like to tell people all the time that you have, there's a difference between positive self-talk and like toxic positive self-talk. And what I mean by that is, is like, if you are feeling something that is really weighing you down, you have to let yourself feel it. Because if you say, oh, it's going to be okay, it's fine, don't worry about it. You're not, you're not helping yourself. It's just going to come back later. And you would hate for that feeling to come back when you're center stage and you're trying to, you know, do the best that you can. Um, so it's really, it, it's very, it's very simple. It's kind of just like, you have to tell yourself, like, I have been practicing this instrument for this amount of time. I'm good at this. I know I'm good at this, you know, unless I, you know, or I wouldn't be in the position I am right now. That's positive self-talk, being realistic, you know, not getting caught up in like wishful thinking or you know, unrealistic expectations. And then the mm -hmm. negative self-talk is pretty self-explanatory where you're just like, you, even though you practiced for three hours last night, you're just like, oh, I, I suck. This is going to be horrible. You know, as if you've never put in hours, days, years of work into your craft. Like that's just ridiculous, you know? And you have to tell yourself that's ridiculous. Every single time those thoughts come up, you're like, no, I don't have time for that today. I know that I'm good at this and move forward with that. So, yeah, I completely agree. She nailed it. That's it. That's, it. that's, that's the sauce. That is the say. sauce. <laughs> that is the sauce. Yeah, I, I think that is so true. Um, just thinking about, like, when I'm performing and, you know, you get start talking and all these thoughts are running through your head and trying to calm the voice, slow the voice down to like complete silence is so hard. And it's really hard to do like in the moment of a performance, you know, like right before you go on stage, it's a little kind of easier to kind of find your center and kind of eliminate that. But like once you're in that moment and it starts to creep back into like your, while you're, while you're playing and it's, it's so hard. And I think a lot of that is because when we're practicing, we are being, you know, you know, we're analyzing what we're doing so we can do it better the next time. And then once we go to a performance, it's hard to 
take that out of the performance because we, we've so ingrained in like being critical. I mean, granted, we have to as part of what we do, but we're so ingrained in just constantly talking and listening and analyzing what we're doing. So like when we get to the performance, it's hard to turn that off, right? So it's kind of like, that's why I think like uh, practicing performing is so important, right? It's not, sure, you want to shed and work through like the, the, the fine things of the piece or whatever you're working on, but then there's like the practicing the performance, you know, putting yourself in a performance space. Like this is the, this is the recital or this is the competition. This is how this goes. And I need to put myself in that space enough times that I, I'm able to kind of turn that voice off in the back of my head and I can just be in the moment, you know, and, and practice doing everything that leads up to the performance, meaning like the meditation before you perform. I like to have my students even like put on like dress clothes to kind of recreate the feeling of the performance as if, you know, you're going to dress the day of the performance or like playing for friends to recreate that pressure of like, I'm doing this performance for colleagues who are going to be listening to me, you know? And I think that's also really important, you know, recreating the performance situation so we can practice turning off that negative voice after practicing with it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Turn off the negative voice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you. So what would you say to somebody that deals with comparing themselves to others? And mm -hmm. particularly in our field, it's always like he or she does this better than me performing wise or playing wise, or this person has this job and I'm not doing this, or these people are off to this grad school with this big name. And I mean, comparison is like, I mean, it's widespread anywhere, but particularly with musicians, we're just always constantly like listening and judging what people are playing and how they play. So like, how can we, you know, what do you say to somebody that's struggling with that and finds like they view themselves as being less valuable because they don't have certain things that this other person has? Mm -hmm. I tell my patients all the time, cause I actually, actually meet a lot of people who are dealing with that comparison and I tell them you know it, it's kind of like backtracking to what we were saying before is like says who who told me that this person is better than me who told me that me and this person aren't equally talented you know this person might be better than me in this situation and I might be better in this situation but all in all we're all talented here you know so just kind of bringing them back to what they bring to the table and understanding that what they bring to the table is amazing is what helps people not compare themselves anymore. Because, I mean, we all know there's, gonna, there's people that are prettier than us up here, smarter, talented, can, you know, learned math in their sleep. <laughs> and some yeah. of us just weren't as lucky. And it's, it's really just getting to the point where comparison is really the stealer of joy. If you spend mm. your whole life comparing yourself to other people, you're never even going to feel good enough for yourself. Even if nobody is criticizing you, you're always going to nitpick and find things that are wrong with you that you can do better when really you're doing the best that you can. And there's always room for growth, but comparing yourself to others, I mean, that's not gonna, it's not really going to help you in the long run when you, especially when you've elevated in life and you've gotten to higher places, you've gotten 
into schools and you're kind of just like, why am I comparing myself again? I clearly can do something right because I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just kind of, it's constantly reminding yourself of like, okay, why am I feeling this way today? Where is this coming from? And how can I fix it? Because I already know that if I continue to criticize myself or compare myself to others, I already know the consequences of that. And I don't want to deal with those consequences anymore. I want to go in a different direction to where I can be at peace with my craft, my talent, and also acknowledge that there's other people who are just as talented or even more talented, and that's okay. Well said. I like that. Yeah. Comparison is the killer of joy. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm awesome. going to frame that in my office. I know, right? That's good. That's really good. <laughs> but that's it's so true. Um, just to share a quick story, I had a, a student um, a while back who asked me how did I think he compared to other uh, juniors his, you know, his age around, you know, based on places I've been or, you know, I've heard, I, you know, I was like, well, first of all, you know, there's no need to compare, you know, you have, you know, a lot of talent, you know, we all have things that we need to work on. You know, I have things I work on every day that I want to get better at. And it's not about like comparing you to somebody else. It's not about that. It's about just figuring out how can we get a little bit better each and every day. And then we'll figure it out from there. You know, we all, like I said, we're all on, you know, we're all, I like, uh, I think it was Barbara Butler who said something um, like, um, she's a uh, Trump professor at Rice University, one of the the big name trumpet professors in, in the entire country. And like, she talks about like, we're all on this singular journey. We're just at different points along the way. And we're all on the same. And I like to use that because it's like, we're all the same here. We're all just trying to figure it out. You know, I might be a little further further than you in, in one aspect, but you know, there are some things that you might be further than me on certain things. So like, like I, I, so I agree with you said, like comparison, like it's, it's a joy killer. Um, so I think that's really important to like make an, a note of, you know, comparison and it, it's so prevalent in the music field. Like we, I see it every day, um, every week, you know, so really, really important stuff there. So Megan, I know you have a, a mental health, is it a, a vlog, like a channel? It's my Instagram page. Okay, great. Yes. So could you maybe, I know you, you, you know, you're, you talk a lot about like mental health. Can you like tell us a little bit about um, your, uh, sorry, your Instagram channel? Yeah, yeah. It's actually called um, Mindful Checkup. And what I do is I just talk about like a plethora of mental health topics. I do like self-care vlogs that I'm adding soon. And I also just started meditation. So it just kind of gives people a place to come to kind of be more educated about mental health because I think that there is a huge like lack of it in like a lot of communities and or people just don't have access to it. So it's really just an open platform for those topics and just introducing people to meditation specifically because not everyone can afford to go get a therapist. and. Yeah. If you can be a self-healer, um, the holistic psychologist taught me this. She's mm-hmm. also on Instagram. Um, you know, if you can be a self-healer, there's so many things that you would be amazed that you can heal from all by yourself without needing external help 
you know, from a therapist, a psychiatrist, anything like that. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what inspired me to make the page, you know, just to give people a place to come to when they just want to learn more or just learn how to meditate or, you know, any of those things. Yeah, I think like one of the beauties that at least I've seen over the past maybe three to five years is like the uh, mental health awareness has really increased over the past few years. Like when I was an undergrad, no one ever talked about like mental health really. And that wasn't that long ago. I mean, maybe about 10 years ago, which that sounds crazy right now. Sorry. (laughs) But uh, I mean, again, that wasn't that long ago and it just wasn't like something people normally talk, talked about, but now like even within the university that I work with, there's this constant push for like mental health awareness and, and physical health and just promoting those two things. I think now people are really starting to have this conversation about like how important it is to, to help heal the mind and heal the body and, and how important those two things are and how they relate to how successful a student is, for instance, in a, a university or a college is, is so important. You know, so many students burn out, they get stressed out by the environment or or, you know, or worse. I mean, I'm seeing worse situations than that. So, I mean, I think that's, that's beautiful. And, you know, we'll definitely, you know, tag your, your Instagram page to this. So, you know, people can certainly find you. Um, but yeah, it's mental health is so, so important, you know, and it's a conversation I have with my students about mental health all the time. Um, so kudos to your work on, on, on that. Um, Tyler, yeah. did you have did you have anything? Yeah. So, say somebody is kind of looking at their situation and saying, like, okay, I need to work on myself, and I need to, you know, deal with some th- things in the past. Like, what? How do they get started? How do they get on the journey? You said, you know, what if you don't have enough money to go see a therapist? You know, what are some resources that people can latch onto and kind of start? heading in that direction. I mean, you m- mentioned an app as well. Could you just kind of describe like, say you're a student that doesn't have the funds to go see a therapist or maybe vice versa, you have somebody that their work will cover those costs. Like how do they take those first steps and also feel okay knowing that like it's, it's a step in the right direction? Yeah, for sure. And honestly, even if you don't, if, if a student doesn't have a lot of money um, to get a therapist, I always tell people to go on psychologytoday.com and what you can do is you can filter by insurance, by income, by no income, and it'll tell you what therapists are in your area that specialize in anxiety, depression, trauma, and you can actually start there. And even when you contact those therapists, let's say they're not taking any patients right now, they can then connect you to people that they know who are taking patients on a sliding scale and a sliding scale is when you can see a therapist based off of your income or, you know, they may only charge you like one price, you know, per month for a certain amount of sessions. So, you know, really good therapists want to work with people who don't have the means to see them for full price. So I, I just always tell people to start with psychology today. And then also, if you just have, if you just can't find anyone in your area on the website, it's always good to look up support groups because support groups are always free, kind of like AA or NA. 
And there's so many groups for different addictions, traumas, different styles of therapy. You know, if you only want to be in a group of women or men, whatever, you know, there's just so many resources in the community. If you simply just reach out to a therapist or a psychiatrist, or even go see your doctor um, or community mental, community mental health where services are free or they're provided to people who only have like Medicaid or Medicare. It's kind of just being able to make that first step in reaching out and asking for help. And then I have found that we have so many connections that we just kind of help each other as therapists where we're like, oh, I have a patient that, you know, can only afford this and you specialize in this and, you know, you just send them in those directions. So that's where I would start for someone who either has insurance that's covered by their job or someone who doesn't have insurance. You can always start at psychologytoday.com. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, I didn't know that. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. I had no yeah, idea. I had no idea that that existed. And the yeah. other thing too is it almost like a lot of times people view doctors or you know, in those kind of fields, it's like, they're just trying to take your money. And it's like hearing you speak about this, you're like, no, actually these professionals care about you and are willing to help you out. I think there's, you know, they've gotten like a bad stigma, you know? And so it's really refreshing for me to hear that, like, no, like they're going to talk to their other professionals or other colleagues to try to make something work. That's, that's really refreshing to hear. Absolutely. And also there's another resource called Talkspace. It's an app and it takes insurance. And I also think it has a sliding scale. I see my therapist through Talkspace. You can either text your therapist if you're more comfortable with texting, or you can still do like video chat, like kind of like Zoom like this for 45 to 50 minutes. And I absolutely love that app because it's for people who really don't have time to see somebody in person. And then with COVID, making it really difficult to see people in person. That's also another option that people have. So it's called Talkspace. Talkspace. All right. Awesome. awesome. Thank yeah. you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Megan, I, I want to thank you so much again for you know, allowing us to talk to you about, you know, an issue that we both find very, very important to our field and to, you know, everyone, even, you know, any field for that matter. Um, so we, we kind of like to wrap up on a, on a lighter side of things is what are you listening to music wise? Like, what are you listening to? What, what are you jamming to right now? I am obsessed with a Swedish singer named Leon. I like, I listen to her every day. I remember when she first stepped on the scene, I think it was like in 2015, um, I found her on YouTube, which is how I found a lot of the artists I listen to because I'm more of like a, I find that I listen to a lot of artists who are from the UK or Scandinavian countries or just not in the US. So she is my absolute favorite right now. She just has a very distinct voice like Amy Winehouse. Mm. I just really love when someone just doesn't sound like anybody else. Like that's what attracts me to them. So she is like at the top of my list right now. Awesome. All right. Well, I gotta go yeah. check cool. it out. We gotta check yeah. it out. Tyler, what are you listening to right now? So I, outside of like Trumpet World, Corey Asbury, he is a singer songwriter, more on like the like worship side of things. Um, but like his songwriting is like very unique, very good, very storytelling. And it's cool. Like he'll write songs that he'll like write for his wife or for his son. And it's like, you hear the words and you're like, Oh my gosh, that is like super deep. 
Uh, so he's just like a great musician. And then from a trumpet standpoint, I don't know if you've checked this out, but Jim Wilt, right? Associate mm -hmm. principal of, uh, of LA. He's been posting YouTube videos like every single day of him just playing an A2 down like since COVID happened. Oh, really? And yeah, so I subscribe to his YouTube channel and every day he's like plugging out another etude and it's, I mean, he sounds fantastic. Right. So uh, yeah, check that out. It's, it's really cool. What about you, man? Um, so I, since we're back in kind of the school system going on the past two weeks, um, I recently re-listened to uh, the, on the trumpet side, the uh, Center City Brass Quintet, um, their, their first album, which is self-titled album, um, you know, Ryan, the late Ryan Anthony is playing in that group. And um, um, so I, I was listening to it because, you know, I was trying to find some pieces for my groups to play. And I was just listening to the album. It's, it's so, so incredible. Uh, of just like the cohesiveness of that group and just like the sound they're able to create is is incredible. I mean, I, I listened to it for the first time back, I think in, when I was in high school. And so I haven't listened to it in years and I just re-listened to it. I'm just like, holy crap, this is like so good. Um, and then like on the, the other side of things, I've just been kind of listening to a lot of different artists that I really like. Um, I was listening to Gretchen Parlato yesterday um she did so she had a, an album uh some years ago i think it was called butterfly i think or at least one of the tunes on her album is called butterfly i think it's called butterfly but i i came across one of her videos on youtube of her do, basically doing uh tunes from that album with a full um big band orchestration and it adds so much to the song so um if you guys uh youtube gretchen parlato um, with like the big band is is incredible it's like so good I mean she has a very unique sounding voice already and like I respect uh, musicians who are like I can tell they're a, a student of their craft um, she's like also an ethnomusicologist so like she's a really like educated musician as well as a great you know jazz musician so um, definitely check her out. Um, if you don't know who Gretchen Parlato is, uh, I believe she's based out of LA, but she might be in New York City now. Um, so that's kind of who I've been listening to. So good stuff. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So Megan, where can people find you on the social medias? They can find me on Instagram at mindful checkup. That's where I'm at. And I've awesome. got lots of things i've only been doing it since like march so i'm like adding content as i go but like it's it's been really fun just you know doing what i love outside of work and it's kind of like my own thing so i don't have to follow like a specific rule or you know specific kind of therapy i can kind of do it all so that's where you guys can find me awesome. cool tyler where can we find you instagram tyler duncan 91 and then facebook tyler duncan what about you uh, you find me Instagram at nerdy prof and Facebook just uh, my name JVN. Um, yeah, so that's that's where I'll be. Um, and I, again, before we wrap, I want to thank Megan again for her time and give her us her words, many words of wisdom today. Yes, yeah, fantastic. And even though she didn't drink any coffee, thank you for you know 
having a, a cup with us, <laughs> a cup of water. <laughs> it's, it, it's, all, it's, <laughs> it's all great. Um, but thank you guys for listening to part two on our series on performance anxiety. And we hope to see you and, you know, share more topics with you as the weeks progress. So cool. thank you all for listening. We'll Thanks. See you next time. Thank you. Guys. All right. Bye. Bye.